And it's good to see everybody. And I never let an opportunity to go by for me to drop a lyric on you. So here it goes. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a strong round to step to. Think of how much time I missed you. Time's up. I'm sorry I kept you. Sorry about that. I know, right? I don't know why, why, why the Lord always drops a lyric on me like that. I just got to make sure that I can repeat it sometimes. So before I would begin, I just want to say a a brief word of prayer. Um, So if you will, Father, we thank you for this time to come and gather in your name. Lord, that I sorry about that. I know, right? I don't know why, why, why the Lord always drops a lyric on me like that. I just got to make sure that I can repeat it sometimes. So before I would begin, I just want to say a a brief word of prayer. Um, So if you will, Father, we thank you for this time to come and gather in your name. Lord, that I ask that you increase our thirst and hunger for your word, that each and every person here gets what they have been looking for, that thing. Lord, you know my mind, you know my heart, you know how I think. You know I'm competitive against myself, but this is not about me. This is not about how many scriptures I have read and studied. This is about revelation. This is about feeding your people, and so I yield myself to you. No matter how I've been trained, this is not the same thing. And so, Father, I know that you will honor me and honor this time. Be glorified forever. Amen. Well, y'all can take your seats, please. I'm on a mission. I have a time uh, that I have to deliver this to you, so I need to go ahead and get started. Um, The message today... um, has been a long time in coming, and I think it's apropos and fitting for the time that we find ourselves in during this time of the COVID pandemic. And it's understandable that those who are not God's children would fade away. You know, some people called it a early rapture or time of redemption, um, but I saw it differently. I saw it as a time of evil and wickedness. But where's the church in this time when everybody's health is being challenged? I had a situation not long ago, uh, 2005, I had a very dear friend die suddenly. And my friends, in an attempt to lift my spirit out of the muck and mire, took me to church. And the word that day was, I've given you the power (laughs) to heal the sick and raise the dead. And I said, Father, are you making a mockery of me? I, I, I just lost my friend. You talk about raising him from the dead, healing the sick. And so on, from that day forward, I was on a journey about health and healing. Everyone wants to claim health and healing, and I'm not taking the vaccine because I'm healthy and I'm healed. I'm not doing this. I ain't taking the flu shot. But I don't know anybody who has raised anybody from the dead. I don't know anyone who has healed themselves of a cavity. I don't know anybody who has prescription glasses and then lays hands on themselves and they can see again. I don't. So instead of being a smart aleck, I said this, let God be true and every man a lie. What that means is we don't understand how it operates. There is an algorithm. There is a key. There is something that is missing. So fast forward to about two months ago, four of us headed to North Carolina to learn about divine healing. And I would say three of us weren't feeling well going, but hey, we're going to see if Curry Blake know what he's talking about. At the end of the service, he's going to lay hands. I may not have the faith, but he will. I'm going to be okay. So we head up into the North Carolina mountains, and by the end of that time, we could barely get home. Three of us had gotten extremely sick. One not, though. And in sequential order, it was 
Ola was not sick. Chris was slightly sick. I, w- I was sick. Tishambi had to be hospitalized. But the word that dropped, the word of healing went through. It deposited. And the formula was the healing goes forth. It gets worth, worse. You stand and then it manifests. The manifestation took its time. Tishambi's healing came last. He had to be in hospital, ICU, but it manifested. And so while I was at home, believe it or not, I I was not feeling well, and I was forced to rest. And so the Father began to deal with me about communion. As I was studying about healing, I became fixated on communion because there was a time in 2015 where I had to take medication that was so strong that the pharmacist said, sweetheart, are you sure? I said, my doctor said, that's not really what the issue was. The father had already told me, you need to take communion and you take this. And you can't come off of this because it will have an adverse effect on your body. So I had to believe him to take both. And one day I forgot to take the medication and I was like, that's the sign. It's time. So there's something about communion. I've always known that. It's something about it. It's not just a ritual. There's something about it. And so today, um, today's message, if you will, is called the mystery of the miracle meal. The mystery. We all know that um, a divine mystery, I'm not talking about mystery and macabre from the dark side. I'm talking about divine mysteries are secrets embedded in scripture. The word says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of men to seek it out. And what that means is like a parent, it is their privilege, their honor to show you things when the time is right. But as children, it is our honor. It is our privilege. It is our responsibility to seek out those things which are hidden. And those things are hidden from uh, for us, not from us. And we also know uh, in Matthew that... Uh, Let me go back a little bit. I'm getting excited. Deuteronomy 29 and 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us, to our children forever, forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. We are our father hides things. Not for us to vainly beg and ask him, but they are revealed in time. One of my favorite scriptures um, is from Psalms. And David was saying, the one thing that I desire and that one thing that I wish for, that I may dwell in his house and inquire in his temple and behold the beauty of the Lord. I didn't know that David was praying about my situation and I was envying what he was praying. But it wasn't until I came to Divine Generations that that prayer had been answered. Behold the beauty of the Lord. Be in his temple. That means I was saying, Father, I want to be from where you are. I want to get to know you. Not understanding that. I had a slave and a servant's mentality, not knowing that I was actually a child from the kingdom of God and that I had access to my father and I can go into the secret place and ask him those deep and unknowable things that he would reveal unto me. In Matthew, we have the disciples asking Jesus, why are you always talking parables? And I like to parenthetically say, he says, because I can, but because I'm talking to you and not them. But I'm going to give you some scripture that says it nicer than I did. And that's Matthew 13, 11. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not them. And not them. That means he has secrets that are available to us. So we come to this point, the mystery of the miracle meal is that it is how our father infuses health and healing to his children. That is the mystery. It is the spiritual root of divine health and healing. 
In other words, when you see somebody operating in divine health and healing, if you look back, you trace back, part of it is through communion. When we were in North Carolina, we went through so many different methods in which the father can choose to heal his children. But the one that stuck with me, the one that resonated with me, was about communion. One thing that was hammered into us, and I knew, um, was that healing is our portion. And we hear that. But yet and still, why were there so many people from the faith community who were afflicted with COVID, who didn't, who didn't survive, who got sick, who made it? Those who didn't recognize him or worship him never got sick, but actually incubators for germs making other people sick. I was like, Father, I don't, I don't understand this. And so the one thing that became clear, and when I heard it, it dropped. And it says, God's word is the final authority. Psalms 119 and 89 says, forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven forever. He doesn't have to keep saying it. He didn't have to keep repeating it. A lot of times when the father speaks, he speaks it and it continues on in eternal time. But we catch it in chronological time. You don't hear the father continually saying, I almost said I ain't no joke. But you don't hear him saying, I am the Lord God, I am the Lord God. He is who he is. He said it, and it keeps reverberating throughout his universe. So it is the final authority. So if he said it, that's it. If you don't see it manifest, it's either not time or you're not doing something. But it's not that his, it's his promise is not true. And we know when Mary heard from that angel that, you're going to have a child and you're going to name him Jesus. And she was like, I don't know a man. And she went through all her doubt. But at the end, she reckoned, but at thy word, be it unto me. And she got up and she danced and she sang a song and it's called Magnificat. And, you know, sometimes some people want to act like when the father tells you something, you do it immediately. I, you know, my parents tell me stuff now and I'm like, I live 700 miles away. You ain't going to tell me I ain't doing it. So I know to a God that you have not seen, he tell you to do something and he can tell you in a way you know undoubtedly is him. You can act like, I don't know, I can't hear him. You know it's him. That's why I like Peter. He ain't play. He was like, man, you tell me to cast that net on the other side. I've been out here all night. You know what I'm saying? But at thy word... He came to the point where he accepted at thy word, be it unto me. Is the same at thy word that was said back in Psalms. It is the final authority. Healing is God's promise to his children. At his word, be it unto us. And he says it in the Old Testament. For our Bible scholars with the V, not a B. But anyway, it says, uh, Psalms 147.3, I heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. That's to servants. For I am the Lord who heals you. And see, that's, I like that. Exodus 15 and 26, that's when the Lord, I love when he steps out and says, I am. When in worship, when I get to doubting it, he like my cousin Leroy to tell lies and don't remember. He says, I am that I am. I am the Lord God. And beside me, there is no other. I'm not a man that I lie. I'm not the son of man that I repent. So when I put my prayers and my cares and concern with him, I'm content. I know he heard me because he is the Lord God. He says, I am the God who heals you. He said it and it continues on. He is the same God yesterday, today and tomorrow. He doesn't change. I heal you. And the part that makes me giggle about that whole Jehovah Rapha, I don't know if you had a grandmother, or aunt, a cousin who had been to Bible school or Bible study, and they went through each and every one of them Jehovah <laughs> at Thanksgiving. 
It's time to eat, and they want to, oh, Jehovah Siskanu, Jehovah Roha, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom. Woo. My God. I felt like Christ. Adam, nah, did you leave me here? Can we eat? Because, you know. And, and the funny thing about that is my grandmother was so proud that she knew all those names, but it wasn't until she passed that I realized she didn't know the names. She knew the character. She had an encounter with him, that personality and character. So when she said it, she wasn't just quoting it from Bible study. She knew Jehovah Jireh. And sometimes, sometimes you don't know him unless you go through something. Chris, you don't know Jehovah Shalom unless you have been in turmoil. There's a whole book in the Bible on lamentations. He's not scared of your concern. He's not scared of your sorrow. <laughs> He's not afraid. In Jeremiah 30 and 17, he says, I will give you back your health and heal your wounds. Proverbs 3 and 8, O oh Lord, I cried to you for help and you restored my health. I will restore your health and let you live. Isaiah 53, I forgive all your sins and heal all your disease. That's Psalms 103 and 3. And then we would come to the New Testament because I don't like to always be in the Old Testament. I like it, but you know, um, sometimes you got to come out of that because it's a foreshadowing of what he's going to say, what he's going to do in the New Testament. And boy, what he does when Christ comes on the scene is completely different. But anyway, it says, I will take your sickness and remove your disease. That's Matthew 8 and 17. By my stripes, you were healed. Now, in first Peter, it says, by his stripes, you are healed. And I love when you can go back and forth with the Old and New Testament. When they, when they come together, it's kind of like, ah, yeah, that's that thing. Healing is my portion. The same spirit that raised me from the dead now lives in you and will quicken your mortal body. You know anybody suffered a stroke and certain parts don't want to act right? That's supposed to be Romans 8 and 1. Communion, more than the ritual. <laughs> a lot of times we have taken communion out of ritual. I used to love it as a child. It was that one time in church, other than when the pastor started hooping, that I stood up and sat in my chair, put them now laters down, put my shoes on. We about to have, oh, come on, y'all. Y'all wasn't always paying attention with a notebook. You know, you was in the back cutting the fool. I know I was because I was related to everybody in the church, including the pastor, person who was the drummer, everybody. But when communion time came, it was a solemn and a sobering experience. I used to love it at a large church. My grandmother on my father's side went to a very, very large church. It was a large congregation in a large church. It used to be a synagogue. And when I say large, I'm talking about they had a movie theater. They had a theater, like the Fox Theater. They had an elevator. They had a banquet hall that was like a real banquet hall, not in the basement. I'm talking about a banquet hall. <laughs> no slight on that, you know. And, you know, with a stage. And Sunday schools, rooms that were around the banquet hall. It had a full restaurant-sized kitchen. So when they did things, it was huge. So when they did communion, you know it was a time. So you got a huge synagogue. And you got all them deacons lined up, and they were sharp, and you ain't seen them all month except for communion, though. And they had their white gloves on, and they were in lockstep synchronization. They went row by row with them gloves on, and one would pass the bread on this tray, and then the other would send that tray of wine. And I used to wonder how they didn't drop it, you know. And I would sit and watch the pastor, and he went... Let all the deacons come up to the first, and I determined whether a pastor was humble or not, is if he would take the communion tray and turn around and serve the others. I said, oh, he humble, ain't he? It's a good pastor. And he had on his good long robe. This is before men wore the suits. They had the little choir robe with the three crosses on it and everything. And the gators peeking beneath it, you know what I'm saying? And they had their little cloth, because, you know, before the end of the, (laughs) 
you know, I loved it. I'm, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just, it, you know, the black church was how we got over. It was what it was, and it served a purpose. And to me, some of it was entertaining. And it kept me out of the streets. It kept me from doing other things out of fear, fire and brimstone. However the Father got to keep you in the fold, he does what he has to do. But moving back to the ritual of communion, you know, we all memorize that part. I mean, I tried to. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread, asked for blessing, he broke it. And he said, eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. And boy, I would be like, this look like a wafer, you know. All right. And then, boy, it was time for the wine, right? You know, like, oh, this ain't nothing but grape juice, but come on with it. So he was like, and then he took the cup and said, this is my blood. Actually, he said, this is the wine that represents my blood. And drink ye all of it. <laughs> and, you know, I had a cousin, you know, some, you know how we do. <laughs> it ain't but a sip in it, but they're going to sip <laughs> Continue to sip on it, you know. And that's when you felt that slap on the back of your head, like, for real, for real. And, you know, I, you hear different parts of the communion um, being told. The Gospels kind of portray it differently. And you're, you're not, you know, you make sure that, you know, um, that you repent from all sins because you don't want to eat and drink unworthily. Like, oh, I cussed my cousin out or I cut that lady off on the street coming to church. I can't take communion. Not quite what that meant. But anyway, it's important because we were entertained by the ritual, but we missed the rite of passage, the, the rite that was afforded to us. But before we get into the communion table, we have to go back a little bit. Go back into antiquity. Go back to the Last Supper. Okay, so at one time, the Hebrew nation was enslaved by the Egyptians. And through Moses, God told Pharaoh, let my people go. We know that story. And Moses was like, they're not going to believe me. He said, just say it. I got your back. So he sent ten plagues. And Pharaoh was like, hmm. And his heart was hardened. That's what the word says. And at one point, I think he told Moses, yeah, I think I'll let y'all go. Now I changed my mind. And I just want to kind of stop a little bit right there on God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I had a conversation with a friend about God hardening a man's heart. And I often wondered, like, why would he do that? You know, everybody likes to say, because he's God and God alone. But I really asked him about that. And some of it is the perspective in which you see it. God hardened his heart. In other words, his heart was not towards God. God didn't take a heart that was full of love for him and then say, eh, I'm going to flip the script and I ain't going to make you like me. No. Pharaoh's heart wasn't right. And because God is God and God alone, he is merciful and kind, some people don't like that. And sometimes we are not comfortable because we don't really know a whole lot of people who just straight up say, I don't like God. They don't say it that way, but they do little stuff. They got query and question. I'm, I'm wondering, eh, okay. And sometimes the father will be like, I'm going to leave you where you are. He said, but I'm going to send this last plague, though. <laughs> I'm going to send a death angel. And nobody likes to hear about God sending a death angel. And you don't want to be on that. You don't want to be on the side of that. And I feel, and I say I feel, because I can't say it's the gospel. I don't know if it's revelation, but I feel like he was saying you don't want to be on the side against my children. That's why you can settle in your saddle when harm comes your way because sometimes you are the sacrificial lamb. And he is waiting for that one thing and then his cup of wrath is full. And when he comes through with the funk and righteousness, you're not trying to be on that side. And I used to always want to be like, man, I wish I was like the children of Israel. A lot of people don't know, but I grew up in a predominantly Jewish and Italian neighborhood. I have seen how Jews live. I have been taught by Jewish mothers. And I was like, dang, my mother at home. Nope, write it again. That's wrong. We couldn't play. She's going over our homework again. It's funny, when I went to Maryland, I wanted to go on a kosher plan because it was really the food I preferred. I really did enjoy um, Jewish cuisine. 
I saw how they did business. I saw how they treated African-Americans. I saw how they did business vis-a-vis other people. They knew that they were God's chosen, and so they were like, eh, I mean, what? Yes, I'm a flex. Oh, yeah. My cousins who live in a mountain. A mountain? I'm talking about kids driving Porsches and, 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 and Mercedes when we were 16. Oh, we went to Florida, and I just got this Gucci bag, and I didn't know that. Oh, I got mine in Paris. Oh, really? That floss that we see now is some foolishness. It's a different floss where you know, like, you are God's chosen. And they fully flex. Fully flex that. And one time, I was having a hard time with a guy I was dating. And this guy I work with um, was like, why don't you come to synagogue with me? And I said, look, you ain't worshiping Jesus. And I don't want to hear your mom all in my face about me being Jewish. But let's just let this go. But he was like, no, for real. Like, we can go to West Palm Beach for Florida. I No. We could, No. You can have any jewelry you wanted. Say what? He was like, oh, we don't deal with the little blue box, Tiffany box. We deal with red. I said, Cartier? He was like, yeah, but, or you could go into the family vault and pick which stone you wanted. That has been in the family since World War II. And we can't keep that silver ring that your great-great-grandmother had. Never mind, I'll leave that alone. Anyway, so I, I understand what, it's, what, it's, what it feels like. I, and, I had, and I wanted to be Jewish. I was like, man. But I didn't realize through the atonement of Christ, I am a spiritual Jew. Now, I can't really tell them that because they wouldn't really accept it. But I was like, that's pretty cool. Anyway, so <laughs> had to pause there for a second. So. God instructed the children of Israel. He said, look, I'm sending the death angel, but this is what I need you to do. I need you to take the blood of the lamb, and I need you to put it on the doorpost, on the left, on the right, and on the top. You need to eat, consume its flesh by midnight because I'm coming through. And anything that's not under the protective covering of that blood, animal and man, I'm coming for, and I'm taking the firstborn. Now, they were also getting ready to go. He was getting ready, like, children, get your stuff, pack your grip, we getting ready to go. And so they made, um, so let me back up just a little bit. So the death angel came, and Pharaoh's son was part of that firstborn, and he, and he passed away. But the death angel passed over the door of those that had the blood of the lamb on it. And therefore we call it Passover, or Sadar. And so the father told the Hebrews to commemorate this event every year at Passover. So it's a ritualistic meal. The plate is full of food, but the food is symbolic. And so it's not a delicious meal. It is how the children of Israel or the Hebrews continue the story of Passover. And so, Kena, if you will, can you help me for a second? You saw on the video, they had bread around the plate, which, let people see that. It's called matzah, uh-huh. Here you go, Kina, pass those out and let them see it. And, yeah, so they can see it. Um, and matzah is an unleavened bread. Uh, and the reason why it's unleavened is that night, they didn't have a lot of time to cook. And so they took a little meal and some water and some oil, and they put it in the pan. And they, uh, Kina, I'm not done yet, sorry. And they would make a little cake that would kind of look like this. It's a flat bread. So at the Passover meal, you had this bread that was flat. It makes me giggle sometimes when I see a big Subway roll on a communion table. Kind of, kind of not right. Um, because also fermentation, the yeast would also represent, um, Sin, And also there's an argument that possibly the wine that was used at uh, the table was also not fermented because it represents sin. All right. So 
When Christ was at the Last Supper, which was actually a Passover celebration, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy 800 years prior from the prophet Isaiah, who stated in chapter 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, they thought Jesus had done something. That's why he was suffering that way, not recognizing that he was suffering for us. And so this last scripture says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. I know we've heard that a lot and we say it a lot. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. We like to say that, but we kind of don't make the connection of by his stripes we are healed. And so now, finally, I'm getting to the part about the bread, which represents his broken body. So it wasn't really a big thing for him to take the bread and talk about it doing certain things. Kenna, please. <laughs> because there was a time that the children of Israel were fed in the wilderness by manna. And manna was a small piece of bread, bedelia in color, and it if, if I could kind of get it to look like something, it would look like those. And it was about the size of a cardamom seed, but it was pearl in color. And so, you know, it fell and you couldn't keep it until the next day. You had to wait until it fell again. And that little bit could sustain you. So if we're talking about, now granted, it's divine. A little piece of bread falling from heaven. And now we're getting ready to juxtapose that with Christ's body. So, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. There is something mysterious that happens when Christ breaks bread. We had a foreshadowing with the Christ-like eternal priest king Melchizedek who came in contact with Abraham. He saw him, he said, hey, come, and he broke bread. That was a foreshadowing of Christ. There was a time when the disciples were, I always say the road of Damascus, that's not true. They were on the road and they encounter a man who tells them these things and their heart just burned. And they said, hey, why don't you come and break bread with us. And so he goes, and I love the scripture, it says, and he reclined at the table with him. He broke bread, and immediately they recognized it was Christ. Something happens when Christ breaks bread. When we break bread, that is Christ's body. Their eyes were open. The father opened their eyes. These are men who had walked with Christ. How did they not know him? You know, a lot of times I want to say, man, if I knew, if I could just be with him, if I knew you, you'd be the same way. You'd be like Thomas. If I don't see the, the holes in your hand, I don't believe it's true. There is some level of understanding Christ that does not come until there is the breaking of the bread and the Father releases understanding to you. That's the part that we miss. His broken body represents the healing and it is the healing that we're getting ready to ingest. So when he says he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, eat it. He said, this is my body. Not bread that represents my body. And I'm going to stop right there parenthetically because I'm not getting into the school of thought of, well, is it this? Did it turn into it? I don't care. He said, it's my body. So, early in his life, the first miracle he performed was what? He turned water to wine. So, one of the last was 
turning bread to his body and turning wine to blood. Why would it not? Now, in our hands, you got to be careful. You know, Jews were like, and some of them were at the table like, yep, he tripping. He talking about being a, a cannibal. Jesus did not say, come on, get some, and then put his flesh out there. He didn't say that. He was, I mean, come on, he was a practicing Jew. No. So it has to be a miracle. Something has to take place. Now, I think in this realm, we don't see it, but in the spirit realm, something happens. Something happens when you take his body. The father wouldn't prophesy, wouldn't send no prophet 800 years to say, when he come, this is going to be his body, this is going to be that thing, and it not do what it's supposed to do. The means the sickness and disease that could come upon us, Christ dealt with that. So let's stop right there. Sickness is primarily put upon us, or we, we endure sickness because of three reasons. One is a curse. Two is sin. And three is an attack of the enemy. We know it's not one and two for us, because why? Come on now, we children, so we ain't under the curse. Two, and it's not sin. Now let me get you on that part. You're like, uh, no. He said, I forgive your sins. I erase your mind from sin consciousness, so it's not sin. But what happens is the enemy like to use some little behavior you had that wasn't really godly and say, all right, that's it. Nope, that's the trick. It's the enemy for us. And his best weapon is if I could just keep you sick long enough, you're going to doubt what your father said. Even though we just went through and said, at thy word be it unto me. Body racked with pain. For us who went to that divine training, it was an attack. We knew it was an attack. Our watchmen knew it was an attack. But yet and still, I was hot. You don't come up on me. You don't, uh, uh, come on now. I mean, I'm talking to my body. Like, you don't let just any germ just come up in here. You don't. And I was mad because I couldn't get the rest I needed from my body. And then it went through a period where I was like, well, I'll just eat a little fruit and have ginger ale because, you know, my stomach is funny acting. And I got a call from Apostle Hardy who told me, he said, you better eat some meat. I said, eat meat? Ooh. Sacrilege. I, I feel like I'm about to be vegan up in here, about to be a breathitarian. I don't want nothing to eat. And then I came to my senses. Serena, you know what it was, don't you? You know what it was, don't you? Eh, sipping on milkshakes, fooling with the milk parter word. I was like, you better eat this meat. And I meant that more than just eating that turkey sandwich, which I did not want. It was meat of the word. I ain't sipping on milkshakes. I'm not no baby Christian no more. Uh-uh, that's not for me. In fact, healing is my portion because you know the story of the lady who had a child who was afflicted. And she was like, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And he was like, oh, I ain't here for you, boo. And she was like, even dogs eat the crumbs from the table. He was like, I can't give you the children's bread. And I always thought that was cold-blooded, but Christ never says things without it really being understood. What is the children's bread? I'm asking. What is it? It's healing. But who's the child? Yeah, but what level of child? Come on. Come on, Ola, who, what is it? It's technon. As you walk in a certain amount of spiritual authority, you do not get attacked by the enemy. Because he knows I can't get nothing there. I done ran up on them. I done ran up on their family. I done put this curse on them. I'm trying to tell them you under a different bloodline when you've accepted Christ's blood. I used to say I'm half man, half amazing. Because it's like, I mean, I'm human. You could say however I needed to, you know, interpret that. I was not mere mortal. Foolish mortals. I don't do that, you know. So anyway. Something happens when we take his body, his broken body. So I have a little, uh, another video, hopefully it'll play. And this is just an image of what happens when you take Christ's flesh, when you take his body, what happens internally? 
Um, and before we begin, I just want to share this one thing. It says in Isaiah 11 and 1, he came from the stem of Jesse or the rod of Jesse. That means Christ came from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was his ancestor. And it says, well, Jesus is the original rod of God. Now, there's a point. I know we've all seen this video. I'm going to just tell you it's from the Ten Commandments when, when Moses drops that staff. So if we can, hopefully this will play for us. And I'll give an explanation. Oh, no. No sound? All right, we won't worry about it. Anyway, it's from the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes up to Mo- Moses comes up to Pharaoh and be like, uh, I got this rod, and you know, you don't want none. And Moses was like, I got anybody. You know, my magician's got a rod. And Moses drops it on the ground, and it turns into this snake. And they was like, yeah. But the ill thing is the serpent that Moses' snake uh, rod turned into ate up all the others. And they was like, surely. <laughs> right. So that is the living God. So an image is as you take Christ's flesh, it goes in, it gets rid of all sickness. It neutralizes things that you may not have known could have caused you harm. We live in a world where you got to keep taking vitamins because the earth is depleted. Isn't that right? Chad, isn't that right? They don't rotate the crops they don't give the ground no rest. They just keep trying to get the same tomato that's genetically modified and wonder why it don't get no bigger because the ground ain't got no nutrients in it. So we taking vitamins and we don't know. And this is like, it don't matter. It don't matter if you take a vitamin. It, it doesn't matter. Christ's blood goes in and gets rid of all of it. Whatever. Oh, shoot. I ate something I wasn't supposed to. Take communion. Oh, I don't feel good. Ooh, I don't normally eat them collard greens from her house because, you know, she don't keep a clean kitchen. Take communion, something. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you ain't had food poisoning. I'm going to just say this. This is just gratuitous. I'm going to put this out there. There was a time I had gone to a local trough house and had indulged and enjoyed myself. By the end of that night, I was in the emergency room with a hat, a scarf, a full jogging suit, and a robe on. That nursing staff looked at me and said, come on, baby. Because either you you coming down off of that high or whatever that thing is, and we're going to get you detoxed, but come right on. And they was like, tell us on a scale from 1 to 10 what that pain is like, 11. They shot something in my vein. Hear me on this. And I was like, yeah. ooh, <laughs> cartoons got real funny. And then they gave me some uh, narcotics to take home. You gotta, you know, I forgot what it was. It was food poisoning. Uh, she's not here. I had to call my attorney. Look, I was sick because of that food. We ain't giving you no money. Okay, I'm going to just tell everybody this local trial house is going to get shut down. And I, and I look, I give it the side eye when I go past there, and then I still turn in there and hope it's clean, but, you know, I still ain't learned enough. <laughs> but, no, I got sick. They gave me narcotics, and it was the kind that people got addicted to. And I'm going to just say this. You, in my right mind, I would not choose drugs. I would not choose a prescription drug to get addicted to. But that feeling, I was like, I got a new compassion for people who are addicted to prescription drugs. I slept better, wasn't nothing bothering me. The only thing that kind of caused me to be like, you need to let that go, is I had to write something and go into court. I was representing somebody. I was like, man, I got to let that go. Ooh. So I threw them away. And my friend was like, you could have gave that. You know how much we could have got for them? I got time to fool with you. And at the time, I was also taking communion. So it was, once again, it regulating, like, you need to come off of that. We had a whole industry of opioids, people not being able to come off of prescription drugs. It's real. It's real. All right. So I'm going on to the blood now. All right. One thing that we don't recognize about the blood, we know it's important. We're often grossed out by it when we see it. But the word says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement 
for one's life. And that's in Leviticus 17 and 11. And you know, when you do, <laughs> you'll read through the Bible, it's about two books that wear you out. It's Numbers and Leviticus, all them 677 rules that you knew in one day you was going to break one and that's why you needed a savior. You couldn't keep them because you couldn't remember them, but you definitely couldn't keep them if you could. And so, you know, the priest had to go in and be like, oh, okay, Lord, we're going we're gonna to sacrifice these animals. And it says the animal's blood was given for their atonement. But fortunately, there was the atonement of one person that eliminated the need to have all these other animals sacrificed, right? And that's Christ's atoning blood, correct? And we also know, and it may not, we know it, but we don't always conceptualize it, that blood has a voice, because from the ground, when Cain slew Abel, the father heard it in the blood. The shedding of innocent blood gets the father's attention. He understands, and we know that from Hebrews 11 and 4. And, in, and it says in Ephesians 1 and 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So, now... When we take that cup, which is not juice and wine, it is, but it isn't, something happens. And he said, this is the cup of the New Testament. This is the blood covenant that he satisfied. That means we have right relationship with the Father. And this is the other part that y'all don't be paying attention to. Communion is also a form of spiritual warfare. You know, we say, I'm going to pour a little liquor for my homies. We all commemorate that. But when you take Christ's blood, you say, ever and ever, forever to the dark side, you declare his death. You saying, can't touch this. You are saying, you cannot touch this. Oh, you want shame on you when you step to me. And then this is the thing. We know we need to take it, but this is the, this is the part that always escaped me. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me see. Yes, yes. All right, I go there. I can freestyle a bit. I made it through my little notes. Um, so it is a form of spiritual warfare. You don't have to say anything to the enemy. He knows. The blood of Christ is precious. I don't know if it fell to the ground. I don't, I don't know. I don't get caught up in that. It, I, I know when it was shed, it was an earthquake. Now, I don't know if it fell to the ground, but something happened when his blood was shed. So when you plead his blood, which is for protection, you know how strong that is. But when you ingest his blood, you are what you eat. <laughs> that is the balanced diet. <laughs> his flesh and his blood. And so now when you take those elements, it's no longer ritual. It's kind of like you are declaring his death until he comes. Like, as he is, so am I. He has infused his health and healing through his blood and his body. He died for us to have the sozo life, the zoe life, that is plentiful, prosperity, the salvation that he made available was not just hell insurance. And after, and after you get saved, that ain't really good news no more. You'd be like, yeah, okay, well, okay. But how come I see all them little weird color rappers saying crazy stuff, millionaires, but my mama and daddy ain't like that? Because it's ill-gotten gains, it's illegal. He's going to pay for that in the end. They will. And the father's like, I got a way. I got a kingdom way for you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. You don't have to do things that way. I have the Zoe life for you. You're not looking over your shoulder, worrying about being sued because you stole an idea. Did I say that? I used to be a prosecutor, and I really, really had no respect for white-collar crime. I don't care you in a suit, Gucci down to the socks. I have no respect for that. I had more respect for a dude on the street who was like, give it up. At least I saw him. But I have seen how white-collar crime knocks out people's retirement, and people can't retire when they're supposed to. People lose fortunes and jump out of windows because somebody with a suit decided... 
I think I'm going to cause an entire real estate industry to collapse. Now, I don't know if any of y'all are homeowners, but why are we paying all this homeowners insurance then? That mortgage insurance. Oh, it wasn't for us. So they got paid when I had to foreclose and they got paid from the insurance. Don't tell me that's not satanic, but that's neither here nor there. He came for us to live a different type of life. And you're like, well, I don't understand. How can we not live in that type of life? Well, and so as I was sitting on my sofa one day, I started inquiring of the Lord. I said, Father, I don't understand. If communion is that important, how come we don't take it more often? With what you've revealed to me, how come, well, where's the verily, verily language? How come, like, verily I say unto you? And a couple of days went by, (laughs) and he led me to John 5. And I think that's 50. And I'm going to just read it because it's not in the last slide there. And I need you to hang in there with me because I need to read about three verses. But this is the answer to that question. But there is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread. This is Christ. I'm the living bread. That came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which is I, which I will give for the life of the world. My flesh I give to you. Not just the sacrifice of him dying, but his flesh literally for us to have health and healing. Then Jews began to argue sharply, saying to themselves, how can this be? Give us flesh to eat. See, I understand why the father says, those who have an ear, let them hear. Like, stop being silly. Of course I'm not talking about cannibalism, right? They just want to be off on something. And that's why he he hides things, you know. Jesus was judicious with how he spoke. He did not play with the Pharisees. They got on his nerves. He was like, well, if that's what you think, well, let who cast the first stone. If you ain't got no sin, you cast the first stone. I'll answer this if you can answer that. He did not fool around with foolishness. But anyway, it says right here. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, and that's the word, that's the word, like this is that kingdom key, this is that thing. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That is not salvation, hell insurance. That is the Zoe life. You don't have it because you're not partaking of his blood. His flesh and blood. Oh, no wonder y'all can't see it because it's not up there. Sorry. (laughs) It says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the father, the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna. Little pebbles. And died. You, whoever feeds on this bread, will live forever. We know he's not talking about salvation. We know that's not how you are saved. It doesn't say anything about taking communion is how you become saved. He's talking about the Zoe life. He's talking about sozo, the full on on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the part that was missing. At least I felt it was. So I said, well, Father, if it's a kingdom tool, and and this is interesting, and as I close, Christ will, the Father told the children of Israel, do this in remembrance of me. And Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. He never said build an altar in my name. He never said worship me. He said do this in remembrance of me. And I was like, but if it's that important, how come he don't tell us to take it every day? And the father said that he does. In the Lord's prayer, give us our So what's the daily bread? No, everybody wants to say it's the word. It is the word, but who's the living word? Drop the mic. It's Christ. So, I'm going to do a little experiment. I can't promise I'm going to always do it, but here, until I go home or until Jesus comes, 
I'm taking it every day. And depending upon what I'm facing, I'm going to take it more than one time a day. Now, y'all can do what you want to do, but don't hate on me when I'm 80 and I'm still fine. You can be like, she said that when she was in her 50s, that she's going to take communion every day. You don't always have to have the regular elements. The church elements, I like them because they're nice and clean. You just get whatever. I've known people to take a piece of bread and Kool-Aid. But as a child of Christ, y'all ready for this? Y'all ready? (laughs) Do we not become alchemists and it change form? It's the intent and the faith in it. I know people who take, well, I read people who take medicine as the elements. And then eventually come off of the elements. Come off of the medicine. So don't get caught up in, I don't have any blood, I don't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the elements are, it's the intent behind it. And it changes. Amen? Amen. Alright, so I think at this time, we are actually going to partake of his flesh and blood. Amen. Amen. Everybody got one? We good? Okay. So we're going to do this a little bit. Sorry, sorry. It doesn't matter. You can stand or sit, but you might want to stand. Because as I take you through this, I want you to remember this and try to do it at home. A very sacred time for you to confess, proclaim, and profess things over you is when you partake of Christ's body. You are in right relationship with the Father. So those things that are going on in your body, it's at this time that you take a scan. And even if there are things that you have been dealing with for a long time and you've grown comfortable with, you give it to him. And at this time, when you take communion... The key of this is knowing what to have your faith in for it to produce the healing. And so, Father, we thank you for Christ's body that was broken for us. We thank you that it provides health and healing to our bodies, our minds, our soul, and our spirit. It doesn't just minister that we're going to heaven. So those things that bother us, those things that plague us, Slight memory loss, hot flashes, arthritis, inflammation, every cell, every ligament, every muscle, every bone, all of it operates in the perfection in which you intended. You restore mental dignity to us, that our minds are still sharp, that we are able to behold Christ. We are never at loss for what to do in our lives. We're never confused about who we are. Our health comes from Christ's body. We eat it and we are thankful. Eat it. 
This is the cup of the New Testament. It places us in right relationship with the Father. The blessings are yea and amen. It wipes away sin consciousness. We proclaim the victory every time we partake of Christ's blood. Christ, Emmanuel's blood now flows through our veins. We are now under a new bloodline. And we drink all of it and we are thankful. Drink ye all of it. Amen.